The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Hey, y'all. I'm Bud Elliott, and this is Cover 3 College Football Summer School. We've done our research on the teams, and now we're bringing on the top team experts from the 24-7 Sports Network to help us fill in the blanks. Please follow us on Twitter at Cover 3 Podcast. That's Cover 3 Podcast. And leave us a five-star review on Apple and Spotify. All right, class is in session. Hey guys, I'm Bud Elliott, and welcome back to the Cover 3 College Football Podcast. This is another edition of our Summer School Series, and today we are going to talk about Iowa, a team we talked about quite a bit uh, on Cover 3 last year and to help us break it all down we're going to bring on david eicholt of hawkeye insider and of course the Swarmcast on the 24 7 sports network david welcome to the show man hey bud always good to be chatting up with you appreciate you having me on no doubt about it this was uh this was an interesting team to follow last year uh, i i had them 30th in my my final power ratings and yet they went 10 and 4 uh you know close game against kentucky there in the bowl game and just some almost unbelievably wild splits between strengths and, and weaknesses. Uh, what, I assume most folks were pretty happy with the season they had last year. You know, I think so. But at the same time, it's also the big what-if scenario. Because you look at Iowa's elite defense, their turnover numbers were ridiculous, broke a school record. Iowa special teams probably among the top five in the country. Tory Taylor, outstanding punter. Caleb Shudak was an outstanding kicker for them. Then Charlie Jones, the big 10 returner of the year. When you combine all of those things, I think Iowa fans were more so begging for, give me a top 75 offense. And I think you go from a 10 win team to an 11 and 12 win caliber team. And, you know, at the end of the day, the offense didn't put up the production it needed against Michigan, especially against Kentucky as well. And there's a lot of, a lot of pressure on this Iowa offense next season, especially when you consider everybody they have coming back and Iowa essentially doubling down as with Brian Ferentz. Not only is he the offensive coordinator, they've also moved him to quarterbacks coach. And with all the, with all the criticism and the noise surrounding him, it's only going to get louder. I think they need improvement and not just improvement. They need immediate improvement on September 3rd to justify the move with Brian to quarterbacks. Long time ago, uh, early in my media career, I covered a team uh, in which a legendary coach at a school uh, had his son uh, be the offensive coordinator, uh, Bobby Bowden and Jeff Bowden. And ultimately, that led to the sort of short-term messy divorce that they had uh, in, uh, in 2007. So, um, yeah, it, it if it doesn't go well and you, you make your son the OC, uh, it's going to go like doubly bad because people are going to look at it as nepotism, whether or not 
Mm-hmm. You know, he, he was quality or not. And last year, he was decidedly not quality. Uh, 94th in the country. I think this is the 55th episode I've done of, of summer school. And uh, I don't think I've seen any team have a split of 94th on offense and 4th on defense. I mean, it, it really does feel like a a wasted opportunity. And, I mean, Spencer Petrich's numbers look like somebody won some kind of lottery from the student section just to come around and throw some passes. This, this is uh, – I, mean, I know Iowa punts the ball a lot. In some cases, they were better just punting the ball on first yep. down. I mean, a success rate under 40% throwing the ball, 10 to 9 touchdown interception ratio, a, a adjusted net yards per attempt under five. That's like temple bad. Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what to, I don't know what to say here. <laughs> there's no there's no real segue with it, right? And you know, at the end of the day, Spencer Petrus is probably going to be a starter September 3rd unless Iowa for some reason brings in a transfer quarterback. I would like Gary Bohannon from Baylor being a grad transfer. I think that move would make a lot of sense on a lot of fronts. Do I expect them to go after him? No. But, you know, Petrus being a third-year starter and you look at the numbers last year, yeah, he dealt with some injuries. He's throwing Alex Padilla he flashed at some moments, but again, you look at the numbers, they aren't there. I mean, Bud, Iowa had two passing touchdowns on October 9th, right? They didn't have another passing touchdown until the bowl game against Kentucky where they had two. So they went a span from October 9th to New Year's Day with zero passing touchdowns. So the fact that they somehow won 10 games in the Big Ten without a passing offense, it's pretty remarkable. And like I said, I think that there's so much pressure on Petrus to really – you know, stand out and perform. He's lost some He's lost some weight, which improved his mobility a little bit. Losing Linderbaum is obviously massive, but I do think that Iowa's offensive line is going to take a step forward next year. And then you get Keegan Johnson, Arlen Bruce, who I think will be two pretty capable receivers. I'm very high on Keegan Johnson, former four-star by 24-7 sports. Sam Laporta, I think, could be a first-team All-Big Ten caliber tied in with his numbers he put up last year. So, again, the pieces are in place. It, it really is going to come down to quarterback play for Iowa. I was gonna say, I mean, they, they they oftentimes run the ball so often on first and second down, and like the most friendly downs to throw on are the downs that people think you're gonna run. And so if they would open it up a little bit and chuck the ball around, I know it's weird to be advocating for throwing the ball more early downs with the guy you said just looks like he came out of the stands to chuck a few around, like like you said before we started recording, almost the Dr. Pepper challenge look going on there. Uh, but like they ran the ball so much with Tyler Goodson, uh, his actually like per carry numbers. Were, were kind of bad. I mean, he was stuffed um, t- t- two yards or less 27% of the time. Success rate under 40%. Yeah. I just, and I don't think that's an ability thing. I think he's a good ability back. I just think teams know they're going to run it so much that they load up against it. I think it's a combination of that, and I think it's a combination of what was a young offensive line. You had Connor Colby, who was who was a true freshman All-American by 24-7 sports. I think he's got a very bright future. Mason Richmond was a redshirt freshman. Played mostly defensive line in high school. Iowa flipped him to offensive line. I think he has a high ceiling. And Iowa just had struggles, especially at right tackle with Jack Plum and Nick DeYoung. I mean, they really got to lock that down. I would like to see David Davidkoff make a push uh, to, for that starting spot. I think he's the number two right now in that spot. Again, former All-American, high four-star by 24-7 sports, chose Iowa over Michigan, Ohio State. One of the most impressive offensive line reels I I think I've ever watched uh, from an Iowa lineman. So I think if you get him in swing, you have George Barnett for a second year, who is a proven offensive line coach. I think there'll be some growing pains at center. But I do think with the line's ability to be better, I think with Gavin Williams and LaShawn Williams, they're more north-south backs where Tyler Goodson was more of, I'm going to go outside. I'm going to try to make something happen in the open field. And I, like you said, I don't think last season's Goodson numbers were an indictment on him. 
I think Iowa's offensive line just cannot compete with some of the defensive lines. So Goodson would have to, okay, the hole's not there. I'm going to try to bounce it outside and make something happen. And there'd be times he wouldn't even get to the line of scrimmage before there were one or two guys from the defense that were in that backfield. So again, there's a lot of things that need tweaking, but I still like the overall potential and ability, especially when you look at the names that they have across and, and the potential that Iowa has. So you're of the opinion that the uh, continued development, thanks to increased experience with the offensive line, will offset the loss of Lindebaum? I think so. And I, I'm also right. very high on Logan Jones, who, again, is a former All-American defensive tackle. Iowa flipped him off uh, to center this, this spring. Number 65 has broken numerous Iowa strength records, and he's obviously an athletic freak. And, you know, when you look at the success of Linderbaum, it's kind of unfair to, you know, try to throw Logan Jones what he could be. But when you look at the experiment that Iowa's already done with him and the praise that I've heard surrounding his camp and, and bring, I would be very surprised if he does not go in and have a very good first season at, at center. He's just got too much point of attack, too much physicality, too much strength. It sounds like you're optimistic this is not the 94th offense in the country again. What I think that's almost almost impossible to repeat that, I would think. Mm -hmm. uh, what, what's the ceiling for this offense? I mean, you know, it's not one of those things where I'm going to, you know, be blowing whistles and waving the flag saying, hey, they're going to be a top 25, top 30 offense. That's unrealistic. But I do think that Iowa can take steps. If they can just get in the top 75, top 80, bud, and they and they have the same defense and special teams as last year, I mean, I think you're looking at a nine-win team. Uh, I think the schedule's a lot tougher. You go Ohio State, you go Michigan. Uh, so I, I think that's going to pose a problem. But I also think that it would shock me if Iowa drops both against Michigan and Ohio State. Iowa just finds a way to upset one team a year that they shouldn't upset. And I think when you look at the returning experience, there's going to be a lot, especially that Michigan game. I think there's going to be a lot of hype about that. I think the players are going to go in with a huge chip on their shoulder. And again, Iowa loses Jack Kerner, who is a very good safety. They lose Matt Hankins, they lose Dane Bellin. Xavier Wampa is going to go in. He's going to play right away. I, I think he was the best safety in the country. Uh, he's 15 pounds in, in spring ball from when he arrived on campus. Iowa's defensive line is going to be significantly better. Uh, the sack numbers weren't there and the pass rush wasn't there, but they were so gap sound that it frustrated opposing quarterbacks trying to just make some things happen, which is why the interception numbers were so high. So I'll go nine, 10 wins. And depending on how, how the rest of the division shakes up, I do think that Iowa should be at least picked near, near the top to repeat in the Big Ten West. I, I think there's just too much experience. And I think that there's a big chip on their shoulder after the way last season ended. One thing I do like is um, the the early road games are, are teams that you should be favored over. Like they won't be double digits at Illinois, but they'll be favored at Illinois. They'll certainly be favored at Rutgers. So at least, I mean, at, at Ohio State, I don't think anybody expects you to win. I mean, certainly Iowa usually plays them, them tough. Uh, Ohio but, State also wants revenge from 2017 because right. you know Iowa has not stopped the whole 55-24 thing since that happened. So you know that they're you know while that's way in the past they're going to go in looking, trying to beat Iowa by 40, 50 points. Yeah, exactly. Defensive line, uh, you are expecting a lot of improvement there. Uh, as you noted, uh, their top their top guy is gone, but uh, their remaining uh, 11 guys who played like at least some snaps last year yeah. all return. All the linebackers are back. Uh, I mean, the front seven here should be nasty. Uh, in the secondary, it you think they can avoid a, a, a drop-off or at least a big one? 
I think they'll avoid a big drop off. I think it's a it was a huge boost when Riley Moss, Big Ten defensive back of the year, ended up coming back. I'm still of the opinion where if he didn't get hurt, I think he's at least a finalist to the Jim Thorpe Award. I mean, he was just having an outstanding season. I think he's going to be one of the preseason favorites for it. Kayvon Merriweather is a guy who I've been extremely high on since he got to campus. Uber freak athletically is a late scholarship offer. And at the end of the day, when you look at Iowa's interception numbers since 2017, 85, which is, I believe, the most in college football, and you have Phil Parker back there, it, you're going to have a tough time convincing me there's going to be a significant drop-off. And Cooper DeGene, former All-American as well, is probably going to start that cash position and uh, take over where Dane Belton was last year. Then you get Terry Roberts. Jamari Harris at the opposite corner, who I thought had two pretty good seasons last year. And while Quinn Schulte will probably start the opposite safety, I mean, Xavier Wampa's got too much talent, too much size, too much athleticism. You have to find a way to put him on the field. And at the end of the day, he's a winner, especially when you look back at late in his high school career, just made game-winning plays. Iowa needs that. He's a, he's a difference maker for sure. And, and typically when Iowa gets the guys that are a little higher than they normally get, they, they usually work out. Like I, it seems like I, I was targeted them and they, they – they eval them for the culture fit as well. Um, speaking of you know culture and whatnot, have you seen anything different culture-wise or strength program-wise since Chris Doyle left? You know, I, I think guys are a lot more comfortable. Uh, I mean, the, the term that was thrown around a lot when the allegations were first coming to light was walking around eggshells. I think there's a lot more comfort in the locker room. I think there's a lot more comfort, especially in the strength and conditioning program. And you know what really wasn't so much of a change of philosophy because the guy who took over Raymond Braithwaite worked under Doyle for a de- uh, more than a decade. So guys were already used to the way he ran things, but it's just a change of philosophy. I think Iowa's done away with some of their more strict policies regarding hair tattoos getting you know their sleep monitored and all that other stuff they don't really they really loosen that up they loosen up the music choice in the locker room and, and weight room which again sounds like such minor details but it's such a big culture thing i think for for everybody involved and i think you look at the bond of this team i think the way they've rallied since then i've always said one of the most important games of the kirk ferentz era was that game in 2020 against michigan state after iowa dropped back-to-back games i think if they lose that game i really do believe that iowa's just Iowa football goes off the rails and that season's lost because there was so much riding on that game, but right when they went in there and and I can't remember the final score, but Iowa just beat the living heck out of Michigan state. I think it really changed the tide of everything. Got everybody sort of rejuvenated and, and from all accounts I've heard, there have been significant improvements uh, on and off the field. And I think again, guys are a lot more comfortable. Uh, You're seeing a lot more, I think uh, players of color being elevated to uh, leadership positions and, uh, you know, at the end of the day, too, it, it was extremely important. It was pointed out. But I also think out, I know there's the lawsuit going on with Kirk Ferentz being it was in reference right. to that some degree. I do think it's worth noting that there have been an overwhelming amount of former players that have come to Kirk's defense. And every current player has basically, basically said Kirk's not the problem. And I think, you know, with so much with how serious these allegations have been and just, you know, everything like that, I think it is worth pointing out that. While Kirk is the head man of the ship, I think it goes deeper than that. And I think not that Kirk's scot free from everything, but I do think it does say something that there's been the overwhelming yeah, majority. A lot of guys support him, but, no doubt. Like the whole, no. whole bunch. Um, last one I have for you here. So Iowa, since they play so many close games, and because they do um seem to not really want to go for it on fourth down very much, they have a lot of punting, like a lot more punting and kicking situations than than most teams do. I mean, they, mm-hmm. you know, they 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 kicked, what did they kicked, uh, 
almost 30 field goals last Patriot year. Field goals. Yep. Uh, but they kicked him really well. Like their kicker was uh, Caleb Shudak was a stud and his kickoffs were tremendous. I mean, he was, he was touchback percentage, I think was 65, which is just incredibly good, you know, mm-hmm. starting field position to give your defense. And, and they pretty much could count on those three points whenever he went up there to kick. Uh, but he's gone. What what does it look like at, at the kicker spot? Normally, I don't ask about kicker, but I felt like yeah. for Iowa, it kind of is important. I think Iowa fans have been so accustomed to greatness as far as the kicking game goes that this is going to be a big change in philosophy. I think you look at Keith Duncan, who was the all-Big Ten, all-decade kicker. You look at Miguel Racinos, who was solid, Caleb Shudak. Then you have three guys now that have never kicked in a college game, and I think that that's going to be a huge thing. And LeVar Woods, the Iowa special teams coordinator, who I do believe could be the next Iowa football head coach. I want to throw that out there right now with the way huh. he fits in with everything. He just said, look, the standard's the standard right now. We expect these guys, whoever wins the battle, to go in, and they they have to perform up to expectations. And I think LeVar Woods does a great job of coaching his guys up. But, you know, at the end of the day, bud, while it's important to get those points on the board, uh, the kicking situation is shaky right now. Iowa's red zone offense, I think, has been one of their biggest problems over the past couple of seasons. They need to find that big red zone target. I think Brody Brecht, a wide receiver, could be that guy. I think Luke Lachey at tight end, who's, again, an athletic freak, could be that guy along with Sam Laporta. Iowa's got to be able to run the ball for four or five yards carry. They can't afford these, you know, bounce outside, get eight yards. Okay, then they're stopped, you know, two straight times behind the line of scrimmage. So, Iowa's red zone offense has to be better, especially with the way the kicking game goes right now. I think it's impossible to really, really believe that Iowa's kicking is going to be the same as it has been the past few years. And based on the one spring practice we saw, Iowa might be going for it a lot more on fourth down, or if they don't want to do that and they don't have the confidence to do that, you might be seeing Spencer Petrus or or Tory Taylor punting from the 35-yard line to try to, try to pin them back inside little, the five. Little kick, so, yeah. Or you know, it'll, it'll be interesting. And honestly, a pretty big story to monitor as, as fall camp goes forward. Awesome. David, really appreciate it. Hawkeye Insider is the spot to be also on the Swarmcast. We'll have to have you back on come fall. This is great as always, and uh, we'll be staying tuned to y'all's coverage. Hey, I appreciate you, bud. Take care, man. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at newbalance.com. Hey, y'all, welcome back in to Cover 3's College Football Summer School. And today, uh, we're going to talk a little Illini, a little Illinois football. And to do that, I'm going to bring on one of 24-7's best experts, Jeremy Werner of the Illini Inquirer. Jeremy, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me, bud. How you been? I've been well, man. Just uh, knocking these out. I feel like I'm learning so much. And uh, you know, we're just pretty blessed to have this kind of resource at 24-7 Sports with, with, with all these team experts. And uh I don't know if you've heard any, any of the prior episodes. Basically, just go through my research, been been reading, you know, reading II and, and figuring out kind of what the team's going to be, and then have some questions. And of course, co-host uh, Tom Fernelli is a big, big Illinois guy as well. Uh, he's actually live on Cover Three uh, right now, but uh, due to everybody kind of missing a lot of time in May and June, we're trying to do these ahead of time. Uh, so Bielema comes to Illinois, and some. I guess promising results in, in, in year one and, and at times some maybe some frustrating results. Uh, power ratings had these guys as like a top 75-ish team, really great start beating Nebraska in the upset, and then uh, a, a very 
I guess, disappointing follow-up in, in the month of September. Uh, but one in five in games decided by seven or fewer points, uh, but also like a lot of punts in opponent territory, which I feel could lead to some close losses if you do that a lot. What, what's the general feeling there uh, in, in Illinois about the Illini? Yeah, I think there's mixed feelings of last year, but I think Bud, after five, six years of Illinois being an embarrassment, uh, basically, I think having a competitive team week in and week out, and every game except for the Wisconsin game, Illinois was basically in during Big Ten play. Uh, they had a positive point differential for the first time during Big Ten play in a decade. They scored more points than their opponents in Big Ten play. Like that's a huge step forward where Illinois had some really frustrating losses, had a seven-point lead over Maryland, five minutes left, lost by three uh, inexplicably, right? Had yeah. a lead against Purdue in the fourth quarter, as you mentioned. Brett Bielma punts um, and when his offense couldn't do much um, and, and was already on the, in Purdue territory and basically lost the game because of that. But uh, Ryan Walters is a star defensive coordinator, and he put together a defensive package that was just – to be honest with you, a modern defensive package, unlike we've seen under Lovey Smith, where he's going to make quarterbacks think, college quarterbacks. He's going to make them think pre-snap, confuse them, and then he's going to put his guys in position to succeed with a three-man front using five defensive backs. Like This isn't ridiculously new stuff, but it's it's new for Illinois. And Ryan Walters did a great job developing talent like Kirby Joseph. He got the most out of guys like Owen Carney and Isaiah Gay who have moved on. Um, but you saw huge strides on the defense where they were last in the Big Ten in scoring defense. But during conference play under Lovey Smith in 2020, they were fourth last year. Uh, behind some really, really good defenses in the Big Ten. So you saw huge strides on that side of football. They were good enough to be honest with you, to kind of be like Purdue on that side of the ball and be the surprise of the Big Ten West, except their offense was absolutely awful. And, and that's not all on the, the staff because they didn't inherit a lot at the quarterback position or wide receiver position. But Tony Peterson just did not put his players in positions to succeed. Isaiah Williams did not get the ball enough, a, a dynamic playmaker, uh, and they just weren't able to throw the ball consistently. There were so many games where they were in double digits passing yards. One of the worst passing offenses on college football. So Brett Bielma showed some urgency and replaced him with Barry Lonnie Jr., which is kind of the big storyline going into the next year, bud. But uh, yeah, there was some great strides of competitiveness, of, of improving the defense, but the offense actually took steps backwards, which is why Tony Peterson is now at Illinois State and not at Illinois anymore. Yeah, I, we'll, we'll go ahead and start there on the offense. I mean, the, the, the team made massive improvements uh, overall, but Obviously, as you noted, I mean, it was mostly defensive improvement. Uh, the offense kind of thank God for for Northwestern, right? Uh, otherwise, it you know, would have been right there as, as one of the very worst in the Power Five. Um, a lot of interesting parts for this offense that I could see this taking a jump if everything clicks. You bring in Tommy DeVito from Syracuse, and and I being an ACC guy myself, like I've seen DeVito play a lot. I've actually seen him since his you know junior year of high school when, when he was in Jersey. Um, from my perspective, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, they, they have to think, hey, if we can protect this kid, he's got something. And Syracuse really could never protect him. Yeah, I think Tommy DeVito, what they like about him is, one, he was able to get here for spring ball. So he was yeah. able to get here early. They could run with him. Because Art Sikowski, who is kind of the most proven guy of this group, and it's not all great proven, even though he had an injury last year, 
Um, he's out for spring ball with, with two different injuries. So he'll be back to push DeVito. But I think people who saw Syracuse saw that there's talent there. There's a lot of arm talent. There's a swagger about him. And, uh, you know, obviously with Dino Babers in 2019, he put up some, some really good numbers, 19 touchdowns, five interceptions, but just wasn't able to stay healthy. And then Dino kind of changes offense, went to more of a run-style quarterback with Garrett Schrader. So DeVito gets another opportunity. Uh, I don't think he's guaranteed to be the starter, but I think he's got a good chance to be it. But, yeah, I mean, protecting the quarterback is going to be really, really important. And that's going to be interesting to watch because they do have to replace three starters in the offensive line. The good news is they bring both their bookend tackles back, Julian Pearl and Alex Palczewski. And they're really high on Palczewski, a six-year guy who's going to set the record, maybe for college football, for career starts. He's going to be close to maybe 60 by the end of his career, which is just nuts. But then they brought in two Juco guys, Isaiah Adams and Zy Chrysler, to help out. And they moved uh, Alex Pilstrom, a former walk-on tight end who started games at offensive line, to center. So they feel better about how big they are up front. They have some experience coming back. The other thing is, but they should be able to run the ball. Like Chase Brown is one of the best running backs that I don't think a lot of people in the country know. He's one of 12 running uh, running backs in Illinois history, which they got a good history of running backs to run for a thousand yards in a season. That was last year. And he didn't even really play in two of those games. So um, he's one of the best backs in the big 10 in the country. Josh McCray ran for 500 yards as a freshman. He's kind of a bowling ball, 6'1", 240. And they got a lot of depth there, including some freshmen coming in. But my question is, can they protect DeVito? Can DeVito keep the ball from opponents' hands? And who's he throwing to? Isaiah Williams, I think, is in for a big year with Barry Lunny. I think Barry Lunny's going to get him the ball in space with quick hits. He did that with Zachary Franklin a lot at UTSA. Uh, but do they have another guy? It's Brian Hightower, Pat Bryant, um, you know, a, a guy like Sean Miller, top uh, 600, 700 recruit in the country. Can those guys step up? The passing game is still – the, the big question. And I think Tommy DeVito has talent, but I thought Brandon Peters had talent too. Um, it, it's can they put it all together in their short time at Illinois? But that, that, it's interesting that Balchexi comes back. He, he's a sixth year guy. Yeah. So he's, he's, he's using he as a true freshman at 270 pounds. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I had him as a cross off on, on the, this is why I love, this is why I love doing these. That, that, that's huge. I mean, because you get him back, you get both your tackles back. Uh, you, you mentioned the, the converted tight end. Uh, several of the, and I'm not saying this, this kid's going to be a first round NFL pick, uh, but you know, come Thursday night, we're recording this on, on Monday, full disclosure, and we'll drop it later in the week or or, or next week. But uh, several of your tackles that are going to go first round or early second round in the NFL draft actually were uh, 235 pound or less tight ends coming out of high school. So certainly uh, everybody progresses physically at a different rate. And uh, I wouldn't write that off. I mean, that, that's, uh, that's encouraging. It, so, I sense a little bit of skepticism from you in the receiving core. I mean, it seems like they're bringing back a ton of experience. You, you just kind of question the overall ability level other than uh, other than Isaiah? Yeah, just because they haven't done it. Uh, but yeah. uh, Kamari Thompson's an experienced guy, but he's probably a third stringer right now, former Mizzou guy, track guy. Uh, Hightower's a former four-star prospect, and he had a really good year two years ago, kind of opposite Josh Amator Bebe had three touchdowns, was tied for the, the team lead in that eight-game season. And then last year, he barely played. He had some injuries, but there was just something weird. Tony Peterson wouldn't really talk about like what was up with Brian Hightower, but he seems um, to, to be replenished. George McDonald, the wide receivers coach, has talked a lot about him. And then the spring game, he had four catches for 80 yards. So he's the big, physical, kind of move-the-chains guy they lack and have lacked the last couple of years. Casey Washington does come back. He played well towards the end of the year. Uh, and I think Isaiah Williams could be in 
quite honestly, for a thousand yards from scrimmage this year. I, I thought he could have. He has the capability. He's a former quarterback. For people who don't know, top two four seven prospect. Um, you know, Alabama, Ohio State, Texas A, yep. all these big schools offered him as a wide receiver, but he wanted to play quarterback. So he made that transition last year under Bielema because they want more of the pro style passer, uh, and he was great last year when he got the ball in his hands. But he just didn't get the ball in his hands enough due to play calling and uh, quarterback ineffectiveness. So uh, I think with a full year wide receiver, I think he's in for a big year, but um, he has to be because I, I think he's the most irreplaceable person on this entire Illinois roster, just because they don't have another playmaker on the perimeter quite like him. See, the, the, these are great notes and, and why I love doing this series. Cause, you know, Hightower last year, what, uh, zero catches, 16 routes run. I mean, if, if he's going to be maybe their best guy, like that's just something you wouldn't pick up looking at a preseason magazine. It's why you need to go to our 24-7 sports experts at Illini Inquirer. Um, let's, let's go ahead and switch over here to the defensive side of the ball. Uh, by almost any power rating, they were top 40 last year. Uh, I mean, like that's opponent adjusted and not, not you know, the Big Ten West has has great offenses, but still like that's opponent adjusted. So it, it takes into account that. Very bend but don't break. I, I felt like, which for Walter showed some some scheme versatility. Now I was probably less bend and don't break uh, than what Lovey ran because I felt like Lovey was bend 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 break right. uh, there. But at, at Missouri, he was extremely aggressive, you know. And uh, Illinois a little bit less so, probably fitting to the talent. Let's start defensive line. A, a decent amount of experience. I, I have some questions about the depth. What what do, what do you see there? Yeah, he hit on the head, but um, they lose Roderick Perry, who I think was kind of an unsung hero of this team. He missed the last couple games due to injury, but um, at nose guard, he's not going to get a lot of the stats. But, you know, if you look up the PFF numbers, the pressures, he was number three on the team, which is a lot for a nose guard. Yeah. Uh, and he was just consistent. Uh, he was just really consistent. And he kind of helped Keith Randolph and Johnny Newton, the two stars of this defensive line, really emerge as these all Big Ten honorable mention guys. But Keith Randolph uh, he played basketball until he was a junior in high school, didn't play football until he was a junior, uh, was with E.J. Liddell as um, you know, a basketball player, and they won back-to-back -back state titles here in Illinois. He really took a huge leap. He's 6'5", 300 pounds, really athletic, versatile, just really disruptive. And then Johnny Newton was a high school running back and the, the offensive player of the year in Tampa and in, in his, uh, his area. And he's just, uh, for a big guy, he's really athletic, really disruptive, the kind of defensive lineman that they really haven't had a lot of uh, since Ron Zook left. So those two guys form a great foundation. But you're right, bud. The depth is a concern, and it's why they've added a couple transfers. They're adding Rashawn Wilkins from Vanderbilt. They've already added T-Rod Edwards from Northwestern. Because I don't think they have a lot of confidence in Calvin Avery, Virtus Brown, two highly ranked gets uh, for Lovey Smith in recruiting, uh, but two guys that just haven't made a consistent impact yet. So Virtus Brown started the spring game with the starters at nose guard, so we'll see if he can take a step forward. But they are concerned about depth because, as you know, Bud, you need six to eight defensive linemen, uh, especially with the injuries yeah. that happen in the Big Ten. And uh, I don't think they feel comfortable yet, so I wouldn't be surprised if they had another in the transfer portal. It, it, it strikes me that, uh, you know, we spoke of Hightower a little bit ago. I'm, I'm down here in Florida, uh, but, you know, Hightower and Brown, two guys who might have been a little bit closer to their ceiling, uh, but, you know, came in with an, an okay uh, floor, I, I guess. You know what I'm saying? Um, but, it, like, every recruit's rated highly for different reasons. Some are more, you know, ultimate potential. Some are more combination of floor and ceiling. Uh, to the back seven we go, uh, 
Jeremy, they, they lose an awful lot uh, at, at linebacker. And I, I think some of these DBs they lost. I mean, Joseph was a, a total stud, I I thought. Uh, and like Adams, Adams is gone, right? I have him as a cross yeah. off here. Uh, he's pr- pretty good, too. What? There's going to be a drop off here, I assume. How big? Yeah, I don't think they think there's going to be a huge drop off. Oh, okay. Um, that's because at linebacker, Jake Hansen, you lost him. He battled injuries his last most of his career, but especially the last two years, and he wasn't even available for the team the last seven games. So Tariq Barnes uh, played a big role on the team last year, one of the leaders in tacklers, basically every stat for Illinois. He showed himself to be a solid quality Big Ten ta- uh, linebacker. Uh, and then C.J. Hart was the star, the defensive star of the Nebraska win, but tore his ACL in the final quarter of that game. But he's back fully healthy. They think they have two quality starters there. My, my question, again, is depth. They got some redshirt freshmen that they're excited about, Kenena Odaluga, Dillian Rosiak. They got a former walk-on, Isaac, Isaac Darkangelo, that they like. I have questions of whether those guys can be a Big Ten starter. And as we know, linebackers are a position where you hit so hard that uh, injuries certainly can happen. So uh, I think if they can stay healthy there, they feel good. Um, but that's the question. Uh, the outside linebackers, I want to mention them. We kind of mentioned them with the defensive line. Seth Coleman. Uh, is a former four-star prospect for 24-7 sports. They think he can be a star. Um, they, they think with even with Carney and Gay leaving their best pass rushers, that he can take on a big role. And former four-star prospect Alec Bryant transferred from Virginia Tech. Uh, he's going to be in the mix with Ezekiel Holmes. They feel they have a lot of depth at that position, uh, that they can rotate those guys more. But going to the secondary, Kirby Joseph, no one had as a breakout candidate going into last year. And he enters in the starting lineup. Uh, in the third or fourth game, and ends up being an all-Big Ten guy. Uh, unbelievable development by uh, Ryan Walters, the safeties coach, who's also the defense coordinator. Uh, and Kirby's probably going to be, again, we're recording this before the draft, but probably going to be third, fourth-round pick somewhere in there. It's an amazing story, but um, they didn't think he was going to be that last year. And it's credit to Kirby and Ryan Walters, but they do return a couple really good players. Sidney Brown, had his best years in the line and he had a great sophomore year, but he's, he kind of looks like Troy, Troy Palomalu and he plays like him. They, they kind of move him everywhere around the defense. I call him the amoeba because he's just kind of playing games with the quarterback back there. And you talk about being aggressive, kind of, uh, you know, hiding what they're going to do defensively. Uh, Sidney Brown is the key to all of it. And I think he can be an all big 10 guy. Devin Witherspoon was all big 10 honorable mention at cornerback. And they feel like they had the talent to kind of, fill in behind those guys. Uh, Quan Martin was a nickelback last year, started for them. They feel great about him coming back. Uh, and, and then corner, they do have a question the opposite side of, of Devin Witherspoon. Taz Nicholson's a redshirt sophomore, kind of his time to come up. But they also had a transfer, Terrell Jennings, that they're hoping can compete for that job. And then at free safety, Kendall Smith is a sixth-year guy that they're bringing back who's kind of bounced around the roster, played wide receiver, played corner, Last year played safety. He had an interception in the spring game, looked pretty good. Not as athletic as Kirby Joseph, but maybe can have that kind of veteran savvy. Uh, and then they got a talented kid, Prince Green, who's a redshirt freshman, who's 6'3", 205, kind of built like Kirby Joseph, but just really inexperienced. So they actually, I think, feel better about the secondary than anywhere just because Sidney Brown, Devin Witherspoon, and Quan Martin are, are really good players. Jeremy, where, where do you see them going? At, do they have scholarships remaining to attack the portal post-spring? Yeah, they do. They've been aggressive with the blue shirt thing, which I don't know how many listeners know about the blue shirts, but they've already added four blue shirts, uh, two prep guys, two transfers, but they still have two initials by my count uh, that they can add to the class of 2022. So 
they've looked at wide receivers. Uh, they've offered a Juco kid. They've offered or, or they're looking at a kid from Western Illinois. But I still think they're looking to build up the depth of the of the, the line of scrimmage, which isn't a surprise with Brett Bielma or the Big Ten. They could add another offensive lineman that they can develop, uh, maybe be here a long term, but also provide some short term depth. Uh, and the defensive line, I think they'd like another rotation player. And, and they hosted Devin Drew, a Texas Tech um, defensive line transfer for an official visit. So that that shows they're at least interested in adding that position. So I I think the formula is not terrible offense, but maybe just like make make the jump to below average offense nationally and maintain a somewhat above average defense. You can get to a bowl game with this schedule. Uh, Wyoming, UVA, Chattanooga. I, I project UVA to take a pretty big step back just being an AC guy looking who they lost. And you get them early, obviously, in uh, September 10th at Illinois. Um, am I crazy to think bowl game here? No, I don't think so. Like, I think the Vegas over under, I don't know if it's changed, bud, but it'll probably be three and a half, four, just because oh, Illinois is kind of, yeah, it would, it would kind yeah. of be unproven. I'd set it at four and a half, five. You given the schedule, given the defensive strides they made. And let's be honest, the offense can't get worse. And, and I think Barry Lunny Jr. comes with a lot of c- credibility from what he did at UTSA. I don't expect him to turn this from what Walters did last year. Uh, I think that says more about Lovey Smith's defense um, the year prior that he didn't get enough out of the guys he had. Uh, but Ryan Walters deserves a ton of credit for that. If he can maintain that, have a middle-of-the-road Big Ten defense, and then your offense takes a leap from, what, last in passing to maybe 10th, 9th in passing, right. th- then that's a formula for a bowl game. I mean, Illinois made bo- making bowl games look very, very hard over the last decade. I don't, I don't think it's going to be that hard. I think they should have made one last year if they had a, a, dec- a better play caller. Um, so I, I think bowl game should be the goal. I, I would probably predict a 5-7 and seven team, but I don't think a bowl game is, is outside the realm of possibility or a crazy prediction. For sure. Guys, we will stay tuned to Illini Inquirer. Jeremy Warner, really appreciate the time. Learned a whole lot today and look forward to having you back on again soon. Thanks, bud. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Hey guys, welcome back into Cover 3 Podcast here. I'm Bud Elliott, and this is College Football Summer School. And now it's time to talk a little bit of Iowa State football. And to do that, I'm going to bring on Nick Osen of Cyclone Alert on the 24-7 Sports Network. Nick, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. Appreciate it. I'm excited too. I've been doing a lot of these, and I, I feel like they're they're going well. I'm learning a lot. Hopefully the audience back home is as well, if this is the first one you all listen to, I basically just try to do as much research as I can. I, I, I read Cyclone Alert, and then I kind of ask you some help me fill in the blanks on stuff that I'm maybe not they're not so sure about. Um, you know, last year, seven and six, I think they're probably like a game unlucky if you look at the, what their power ratings were. Uh, and not the season, I think, just based on my social media responses that Iowa State fans were hoping for, uh, but at the same time, Still one of the best teams in the history of Iowa State, if we keep it in perspective. Do you kind of get the same vibe from the fans there? 
Yeah, with the talent, you know, that they're losing this year and that they kind of had on the team last season, I would say wins and losses. It was certainly disappointing. I, I think they probably should have had at least eight or nine to really be considered a success, though at the end of the season and even in the bowl game, I mean, a lot of their younger guys look good. So I think the future's bright, but yeah, I think that's pretty safe to say. We'll start on the offensive side here. So in 2020, and granted, the numbers from 2020 are all kind of wonky because it was a COVID year and et cetera. They were in the 20s for the power rating of offense and then in the 40s for most of the publicly available ratings this last year. So they had a little bit of a slip. Um, Hall is gone, stud running back. Two starters in the offensive line are gone. It, what do you see from this run game in 2022? Yeah, so even though they're losing, you know, some of that, especially Brees Hall, obviously, I actually wrote it down. I think the running back room is is going to be a real strength. I think that the staff is really focused on, you know, not only building that and building off the recent uh, success, both at this level and the NFL, but from, you know, kind of who I've talked to and kind of addressing team needs, they know that the offensive line needs to be a little better, especially in the run game. And I've seen that kind of focus. We're going to get another shot uh, tonight, actually to see that at a practice, but I've got really high expectations for, you know, not only the run game, but I'd say the offense as a whole. Awesome. Uh, on the passing side, Brock Purdy's gone. We loved Brocktober. That was always pretty cool to check out. And obviously Charlie Kohler and Allen are gone as well, I believe, right? Those... Yep, absolutely. Yeah. What What do you see from the from this passing game this year? So what works in Iowa State's favor is they're returning, you know, their top receiver, uh, often called X, Xavier Hutchinson. And from what I've seen in the new quarterback, Hunter Deckers, I didn't really know what to expect. And he truly has more talent potentially than Purdy showed. I think he's got more of a, you know, high ceiling. Purdy was awesome, but Deckers a little more mobile, uh, athletic. He's got a big arm. And from when we've spoken with the players, a lot of the guys are actually really impressed with his leadership and and command of the offense. I think it's going to help having a star like X back at receiver. And then, you know, the tight end room's a little younger, but I'm told that there's a lot of talent there, some good recruits there. And I would look out for Jalen Knoll this year as well at wide receiver. He's a guy that looked really good in the Cheez-It Bowl against Clemson. I think the passing game, if that line, again, can, you know, kind of play to its potential, I think they're a little ahead in pass pro than, you know, the run game. I think it's going to be good. I think Deckers could be a star in the Big 12. That was one thing I wanted to ask you about. In, in, in charting them, they threw a, a very large percentage of their of their passes to their tight ends and, and their running backs. And, and you know, we can kind of sit here and debate the merits of that. Clearly, if you're Iowa State and you have Kohler and Hall, it's probably a better decision than if you if you don't have those guys. You mentioned Noel. I, you're expecting the receivers then to kind of be the, the strength of this offense at if I'm hearing you correctly? I am. Yep. I think that there's going to be a little more focus, not only with them, but also maybe some of the deep ball game with Decker's arm. And then though the sheer volume might not be as high for, you know, passes to the tight ends and the running backs, they've got some of the speed at running back to really have some success at, you know, some of those RB screens and wheel routes as well. Awesome. All right. So let's go ahead and switch over here to the defensive side of the ball. Um, some some pretty heavy personnel losses here, and I, I obviously have a ton of faith in Matt Campbell and especially the, the job this defense has done defending in the Big 12 uh, going back several years here. But you know, two of your top three defensive linemen are gone uh, up front, but it, it looks like behind them they have a lot of guys who have played at least 
some ball and they're getting Anderson in the transfer from Minnesota. What if there's going to be a drop off? What sort of level of drop off are you forecasting here? Yeah, I'll go on record as saying I don't think there's going to be a huge one. You know, I mentioned all those positives on offense, and obviously, you know, in in college football, it's not crazy for the defense to be ahead early in spring ball. But I've got pretty high expectations. A lot of the you know defensive staff is back. One of the best pass rushers in the country, and Will McDonald. And I think the you know kind of secondary and back line of the defense is going to be a real strength. They've got Ooh. a couple guys I could see. Yeah, making the NFL there, honestly, especially at safety. Uh, Bo Freeler, he's a young guy. And then Anthony Johnson actually moving from corner to safety just because they have enough talent at corner. They're able to do that. Should help Johnson long term. I think the defense is going to be another top one in the Big 12 Conference like they have been, as you mentioned. So, I, wow, that, that's a surprising answer. I'm Now I'm, I'm really – this is why we do the show, right? This is why we do summer school series because, like, I would have thought – Okay, offense, I think there's some explosive talent here. Defense, I mean, you lose two or three on, on your D-line. You lose Hummel and Rose at, at backer, and then four out of five starters in the secondary are gone. What, how do you feel they'll, they'll replace Hummel, uh, Hummel and Rose? Is that more of a trouble spot, you think? Or, or where that, where does this go wrong if it does? Not that I think it will, but... Yeah, and, and I wouldn't even necessarily say that as well, but that's probably the spot where, you know, there's going to definitely need to be some areas of growth and improvement, you know, at linebacker, because there's some of the big names at the other spots, like I mentioned, uh, they've got, you know, a transfer from Delaware, Colby reader, and, and some of the younger guys, actually big recruits have made some noise here as well. But I would say if I were to pick a spot that might be where, huh, I need to see some improvement here. I'm maybe not as confident in that area, but yeah, like I said, I mean, the defense has looked good. I, I would say I've probably been a little more impressed in their past defense so far, at least at practice, you know, we've only seen a couple spots, but yeah, I think that's definitely a fair um, kind of assumption to say there for sure. They, we know they've already taken a couple guys in the transfer portal. Uh, let's, let's end on this one. What, what are the spots uh, that you think they will probably be portal hunting uh, as, as we approach the May 1st deadline for guys to jump into the portal? Yeah. I mean, since they already got, you know, one at linebacker, I think that can always kind of be a look there, but I would probably say in the trenches, uh, offensive line, you know, defensive line, if they're going to, they're pretty confident, you know, in their quarterback room and, and in their back line on defense. So I'd probably say, you know, the trenches, not that it's necessarily behind where it should be right now, but even the players and, you know, some of their top names, like a Trevor Downing said, you know, we were not consistent enough last year. He would say, that needs to be a spot to really clean up, um, you know, kind of shore up there in the run game for sure. Awesome. Nick Oson, Cyclone Alert. Nick, really appreciate you joining Cover 3 Summer School. I feel like I learned a ton and, and really, really glad to have you. This is a blast. Thank you so much. Can't wait for next time. Yes, sir. Talk to you soon. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, y'all. Welcome back in to Bud Elliott's College Football Summer School on the Cover 3 college football podcast and really excited today to be talking a little Michigan State and being joined by Stephen Brooks of Spartan Tailgate, 
our 24-7 Sports Michigan State Hub. Stephen, welcome to the show, man. Hey, thanks for having me, bud. I appreciate it. This is, this is going to be fun, I bet. No doubt. Uh, so Michigan State is, has been a really popular topic on the show uh, for a while. I was sort of Mr. Michigan State the last two years. I, I love the over on their season win totals, um, and I thought Mel Tucker did a you know, really fantastic job, especially you know, evolving offensively uh, in that first year, uh, kind of mid-season. It was like, okay, he, at, at the start, it was like, I don't know what they know what they have on offense or if he's just trying to be super defense heavy. But uh, they, after a while, he he opened it up, and, and they've started to hum there. Um, now, power ratings-wise, the, like the Vegas power ratings didn't love them quite as much as their final record. Vegas kind of saw them more as like a top 30 or top 20 quality team. Uh, but if you go 5-0 and in games that are single score in the final four minutes, uh, you know, you, you can overachieve That'll do that it. rating, certainly. <laughs> what you had, you got to see this team every single day. What what level of team do you think this thing was? Last year, if you're saying 21? Yeah. Okay, yeah. You know, I do agree with that. That's the thing is, uh, you know, and, uh, and I'm sure we'll get into it, you know, but this year they're not, they're probably not going to win 11 games. I'll just, I'll say that up front. I mean, they're probably more like an eight, nine win team this year. And to some people, that's going to feel disappointing. But when you zoom out and say year three, eight or nine wins, that's pretty much on track of what you would have hoped to be. Last year was the outlier. That, that was the bizarre, you know, unscientific uh, year that didn't follow any of our sort of normal college football patterns. So, um, but yeah, to, to your direct point, but yeah, I mean, they they won a lot of close games. As you mentioned, they came back late in some. Um, I mean, you got to remember, this was a team, I believe their over-under was three and a half in, back in August last year, maybe four. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you, you had that. They were picked dead last by the media. I wasn't one of them, at least, but I probably I put them pretty low in my poll. Uh, they were picked dead last in the Cleveland.com media, unofficial Big Ten media poll in the Big Ten East. So, yeah, expectations were very low. And then they came out and uh, started out 8-0, and you went, huh, okay, well, that, I guess that overhit. Um, yeah, but, yeah, they, they – they look, they had one of the best players in the country, okay? And he saw he even fixed a lot of things and, and solved a lot of deficiencies and covered up some weaknesses. And he just was the best player on the field almost every week. So that gave them a shot. And yeah, they they beat a couple of teams that uh, you know, if they played 10 times, would they have would they have won the majority? Mm, I I really don't know. But yeah, this team played a lot of close games and uh and it really, you know, it played out in a way that sort of fed perfectly into Mel Tucker's um program and culture when he talks about relentless and grit and, and fourth strain is one of his buzzwords you know i mean they come back and they they i think it's like 17 to 3 fourth quarter and, and beat miami there uh 21 straight in the peach bowl to come back and win that game they had to come back on michigan they were down 16 points uh nebraska they had to return a punt in the last like two and a half minutes to force overtime then win it in overtime so yeah i, I don't want to say lucky or anything but but this was a team that that definitely overachieved uh, definitely squeeze everything from their roster. You know, Kenneth Walker was Kenneth Walker. He was a bona fide star. But elsewhere, I think they squeezed a lot out of this roster. I mean, I remember uh, I got a text the night from of the Penn State game, the regular season finale, when they went they they finished the regular season with ten wins, and I got a text from somebody that works in the billions says, "I cannot believe we just won ten games with this roster." Just to give you sort of a sense of internally where they thought it, about that thing was. So that's about how that went. Yeah, definitely overachievers, and uh, and you know. Probably weren't as good as eleven and two looks, um, but you take what you get, I guess, right? Sure, and obviously, like, there's no rule that says they, they they actually could be a better quality team this year potentially. I mean, not, not guaranteed to be, but have have fewer wins. Yeah. Um, I I wanted to start here on, on offense. Um, I felt like they did a pretty good job of playing to their strength. I, I had them as, as a top thirty five offense. Uh, Stayed ahead of the chains, no playing pitch and catch consistently. 
not really, but they just hit bombs both in the run game and and in the pass game. Um, what what do you think looks different this year? Obviously, Walker's gone, uh, Reed's back, Jalen Naylor's gone. Can Peyton Thorne take another step here? And if so, where, where, what step do you think he takes? That, that's one of the biggest questions by far the season. See, I, I look at it as uh, obviously Kenneth Walker was the tip of the sword, you know, tip of the spear, everything last year. He was your front man. I think Peyton Thorne in the passing game have to step forward into that role this year. And they're always going to want to be off, uh, balanced. You know, they're never going to abandon the run game. I don't expect Michigan State to be throwing 45, 50, 55 passes um, unless they're down, you know, 21 zip in the first quarter or something. But uh, that's just not who Mel Tucker and Jay Johnson are ever going to be. So they won't ever give it up fully, but you just look at it. The strength, the experience skews to the passing game. Uh, when you have Jaden Reed back and Peyton Thorne, they've played a lot of football. But behind them, Trey Mosley is a very experienced number two receiver. And then they're excited about a lot of younger guys that are going to be rotating into that number three spot, whether it's Keon Coleman, uh, who's a two-sport athlete, plays basketball on the side here. Just really, just in terms of raw athletic ability, is just one of the freakiest guys I've covered here, quite honestly. Um, and then there's a handful of others there that are competing. Their tight ends are good. Uh, it all comes down to the offensive line on offense. And uh, I know it's not the sexiest thing to talk about, but it's it's a major thing for this. It's a major concern for this program right now. So they had seven uh, offensive linemen healthy in the middle of spring ball. They bumped it up and got eight to the, for their spring game the other day. And uh, so obviously you're not even getting your starters um, reps together. And, and even even their projected starters, the guys that they, that should be their best five, haven't played a lot together. And there's just they got to prove it. You know, there's not a lot of confidence right now. Uh, they lost a bunch of guys that four or five guys that combined had like 130 something starts last year. And, and, and even they weren't world beaters. You know, they played a lot of yeah, football, I, but they weren't dominant on the offensive line. So now they have to replace a lot of those older guys. Question marks abound there. And so, yes, how does it look different? I mean, the offensive line, like the run game, I won't, I wouldn't expect to be as fruitful. It definitely won't be a singular star driven thing. It'll be, a, it'll be much more by committee this year. Yeah, I, I was looking at this. I'm like, I, I got to ask Stephen because, so four of the four of the five guys who played 500 plus snaps, uh, which you know, if you got five guys that play 500 plus, you stayed fairly healthy on the year for the most part, which is, you know, yeah. fortunate in, in and of itself. Uh, and one of the common threads of teams that do overachieve is 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 health. And Phil Steele has always pointed out that uh, that Oklahoma team uh, that that won it all uh, under Bob Stoops' second year, they played all all 22 starters every single game. They they didn't lose a single guy to injury, which is whoa. You know, never right. That. That's amazing. So, yeah, it, it's sort of his uh, like starts lost injury status kind of fun. Um, but I was like, how much do I downgrade their offensive line? Because they they are losing four out of five guys. But yet the metrics kind of hated these dudes. And it looked like like Jay Johnson was, was sort of uh, calling plays around some of the deficiencies of the offensive line to be able to create those explosives uh, in, in spite of maybe some of the O-line problems. Oh, 100 percent. 100%. And Kenneth Walker just was such a rare talent, special talent, that it didn't matter what it was blocked up for. I mean, it could have been it could have been blocked up perfectly, too. I'll give him credit. And he could have just seen a lane on the outside, bounced it, and then 60 yards later, he's, you know, he's handing the ball to the ref. So he made up for so many mistakes just because of his unnatural, in-a-phone-booth type of wiggle stuff. Um, but, yeah, so without a guy like that, that could, you know, he would have rushed for 1,200 yards behind any offensive line. You know, without that type of guy that can erase those mistakes, I wonder about it. You know, so I'm looking at the running back picture. It's probably right now, I would expect it to be uh, Jalen Berger, a transfer from Wisconsin, splitting time with Jarek Broussard, a transfer from Colorado. Um, Berger was here in the spring. Broussard gets here uh, over the summer. And they're just nobody said this, but my gut feels that those two are, are Berger was and, and Broussard will sort of rise to the top. 
Um, and, but I, I just expect much more of a true rotation this year. And that's going to be the question. I mean, they, like I said, I like their weapons at receiver. They got an experienced returning quarterback. I like, I really like their weapons at tight end uh, on, the, on the high side there. It's just, can they, are they going to be able to drop back to, for the, you know, protect Thorne enough for him to be that drop back guy that I talked about of taking the, taking the, the reins of this offense. Are they going to be able to block up anything for either of these transfer backs to, to get anywhere and, and establish some consistently? Cause that's the other thing, bud folks, uh, if you didn't follow the team every single week, they were extremely balanced, but a lot of that, a lot of the passing game numbers and just productivity came off of play action or just yep. the simple threat of Kenneth Walker back there. I mean, they scored on like five flea flickers last year. Okay. And that doesn't happen if you don't have a, a Doak Walker winner back there, probably. And uh, yeah, there, there were so many games early on where it was like 250 rushing, 280 passing, you know, 275 passing. 212 rushing they were very balanced but a lot of that was all it all bled back to the to the running back in the ground game and i just don't know if they'll be able to have that that backbone with the line this year to, to hold that up i think that's by far that's question number one for this team in terms of establishing their ceiling is what will that offensive line be and that that'll be really fascinating i know we're running a little bit longer here in the offense but i, I hell it's it's summer um it, it's right. it's what fun you know, i felt about? like you know they would have 240 on on the ground but it would be like 70 55 225 yeah. and then a, a bunch of like zero one 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 two one one negative four it, like, like it, it wasn't sort of a three yards in a cloud of dust we're, we're going to run it 40 times and get 180 you know um yeah very so, big play dependent yeah exactly so I, I thought it was actually pretty smart that they did go play action because it just turning the hand in the ball on the you know on, on a success rate basis wasn't great but the explosive rate basis was just like a cheat code um defensively Obviously, Mel Tucker's known for his, his great defenses. He's, you know, he's at Bama. He was at Georgia. I, I thought last year was one of his better defensive coaching jobs because I felt like they just said, you know what? We can't cover, and we're just going to play Ben, but don't break, and just stick to this and make you execute in the red zone, and we'll play red zone roulette, and maybe we can come out on, on top in the red zone. Like, like they were one of the most extreme teams in the country as far as their success rate split versus their explosive split. Uh, what do you see out of this defense last year? Because I, I was pretty impressed with what they did with the personnel they had last year. It, 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 I think you're dead on. I mean, they were handicapped by their personnel a little bit. So they had a, a couple corners come in, uh, Ronald Williams from Alabama and Chester Kimbrough from Florida. They came in last summer, so they didn't get the spring ball to, to get immersed in the system. And they're older guys, so, I mean, maybe they could have picked it up a little better. But this is a complex deal, the Scotty Hazleton system that they're running here. It's a primarily a single high um, cover three deal. Um, shout out to the podcast. But – it's also, but they're trying to mix in a lot more. And they found out about midway through camp, uh, they almost had nobody who could play man. And so they just, they were almost uh, the entire year were handcuffed and couldn't play man, or at least with the regularity that you would hope to sort of be effective in mixing things up. Um, so that's something that they're looking to fix this year. Yeah, they just, the guys couldn't cover very well. Um, they didn't seem to know what they were, they played slow, I thought, in the back end. They didn't seem to know what they were doing all the time with some of these half field coverages and exotic things that they tried to do. So I did. I did think they overloaded them sometimes. Uh, I know in general, though, it was a, a bend but don't break philosophy, like you said. And and they were opportunistic. I mean, their sack numbers were good, but there were times where they needed some pressure and they didn't get it. There were times they needed some pressure and they did, though, and they, they got the strip sack. They got the stop, you know, to force a punt and fourth down. It was just an opportunistic defense more than anything. Um, and like you said, uh, red zone roulette, they kind of played just college quarterback roulette. Yeah. You know, like uh, I remember the Miami games where it really hit me. It's like they just want him to snap the ball as many times as possible because the more times they snap it, the better odds. You know that, that they always say that something bad's going to happen for the offense: drop, snap, interception, bad read, blindside hit, whatever. 
uh, that was that was what they were doing a lot last year and just just sort of ham and egged it and pieced it all together. And like I said, but really got some timely big plays at some massive critical moments. Absolutely. Uh, so if if this defense makes the jump from top 30, top 40 ish, depending on where you look, opponent adjusted to, uh, let's say, top 15 or top 20. First of all, is that even possible? And if so, how, how do they get there? Where, where do they make that jump as far hmm. as like unit wise? I don't know if it's it might it's tough. I, I guess I'd say it is possible, but it, it's gonna, that's a pretty big jump, like into that like it's a different tier. Obviously, that right. top fifteen. Uh, where it would be better? It would be on the back end, of course. Uh, like I mentioned, so they brought in Amir Speed this year, a six three corner transfer out of Georgia. Uh, started three games last year for the national champs and played in like uh, fourteen or fifteen. It might have been all of them. Uh, they're expecting him to come in and contribute right away and shore some things up there. And he's just he's big. I mean, he just you see him out there on the field. He looks different. Um, and then if you could think about pairing him with Ronald Williams, I mentioned from Alabama, he's six one, a long, lanky sort of dude. You've, all of a sudden, you've got a lot of length and just physical uh, physicality on the edge there. You know, phys- real physically imposing duo if those are the guys. But they just got to be better at covering guys. This is straight up uh, as simple as that. They have to be better at covering guys. They cannot give up routine explosive plays in the passing game. So I put part of it on the back end. I put the other part on the defensive line and, and just to be able to get more than timely pressure. Um, and uh, Hazleton, the D.C., was talking to us the other day. He's like, we were up – I think they were, like, second national – they were up there in sacks. They were top ten in sacks, I want to say. And he was like, yeah, but if you look at the passing yards – or passing attempts against us, because they were always – you know, these first quarter flea flicker touchdowns there. Michigan State was leading most of these games, um, or at least early. Uh, they were they, they were facing a lot of passing attempts coming back at them. So they, they had more, obviously, dropbacks to get sacks and everything. But that's still an area to me, like I said, when they needed it, it – Early in the year, it was there. Later in the year, it was not. When they needed uh, some juice, I mean, C.J. Stroud stood back there and, you know, knitted a quilt, and uh, Purdue's guy was back there just having a ball and hardly got touched, and uh, they didn't really get after uh, Caden McNamara too well either, so they obviously won that game. So that's the those are the two areas. The back end, they, they have to juice up the pass rush, and they've tried to address that. They hired a pass rush specialist in Brandon Jordan to the on-field staff. It's kind of an interesting move this offseason, and uh, that's an area where I think uh, – I want to see what type of immediate effect he has, and I'm seeing the the recruiting effect for sure. But uh, that's an area they could really use use some juices on the pass rush. And and to your point, I I, did, I just looked this up here in our, our little CBS uh, stats portal. Uh, they were actually 40 spots worse in pressure rate than they were in sack rate. So right. like they would get some guys on the ground, but that to me suggests like a lot of downs where the guy was not or was pretty comfortable. You know, they they converted oh, yeah. pressure into sacks highly, but they didn't have pressure. Maybe I mean 81st is is probably not what you want. Yeah, no, it wasn't consistent. Like I said, it was timely, like big, you know, when they needed it, something. They, they pulled off a lot of, like, storybook type of plays last year, and, they, and that was fine. It worked. But uh, consistently game in, game in, uh, game in, game out, possession to possession, I, I, especially second half of the year, just wasn't up to par, I don't think. No doubt. Stephen Brooks, Spartan Tailgate, does a tremendous job for us at 24-7 Sports covering Michigan State. I, I mean, I really appreciate it. I feel like I learned a lot, and I uh, look forward to reading more Spartan Tailgate over the summer. Good, good. Hopefully any of that made sense. Uh, sounds like maybe it did, so I appreciate it, bud. I hope, uh, hope you have a good summer, man. Thanks for having me on. I'm happy to do this anytime. You too. I'll have to do it again this fall. Take care. All right, that's the bell. Cover 3 College Football Summer School is over for today, but don't worry. We'll be back soon with even more episodes filling you in on the top teams in college football. Please give us those five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Follow us on YouTube and on Twitter at Cover 3 Podcast. And we'll see y'all soon. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. 
I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.